harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright, I'm your oyster, baby, you're my pearl. Hello, humans! And also Dom! Yeah, and you. We're back, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we are, Dom. We're back for another week. And this is going to feature the second part of what I would coin a fascinating interview with our friend Mark Odesky. Mark Odesky, what a fascinating and wonderful guy. He was so instrumental in bringing together the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And he's not one of the more kind of out there known names, is he? Obviously, you've got Pete and Fran and Philippa and you, of course. But Mark Odesky uh, did a lot of string Pulling. Yeah, I think he's quite happy to be, you know, sort of in the background. But he was, as you say, absolutely instrumental mm-hmm. in getting those movies made. So coming up is the second part of our fascinating interview with Marco. But we're going to do a little bit before then some housekeeping. Housekeeping! How much fun are you to keep a house so clean and true? The onion. Oh, well done, Tom. That was lovely. You want to do this first one? Yes, absolutely. First off, I free. Oh, this is from Christian K from Seattle. 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 Mm. That's in Washington. Mm-hmm. Not Washington, D.C. No. Washington State. Which is just underneath Vancouver, right? <laughs> Washington State, Washington, D.C. First off, Washington State. That's where Seattle is, is that right? This is Florida. Uh, I'm California. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to say, is it kind of go to your wedding finger, to the tip of your wedding finger, and then just come... Yeah, I would say there. Johnny Clues? Washington Seattle, State. Washington State. Oh, nailed it! He's nailed it! Washington, D.C. No idea, but I'm going to say the center of your hand. Is that the center? Johnny Clues? Is that the center of your hand? Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah. No, very poor. I also say, sorry, I should probably correct it. The Seattle was like a finger below okay. where it should have been. Well, that was very good, Dom. You yeah, get thanks. one Washington, right? Yeah. So oh, anyway, Christian, Christian K, K. who's in Seattle, Washington, near my uh, wedding finger. Mm. First off, I phrased your names in that order. Because I feel like everyone always says Billy and Dom, and I wanted to let Dom be first once. Lovely. And uh, John's not put how he phrased it. No, he hasn't. So he's omitted that, cool. which is a shame, John. <laughs> Second, because <coughs> it was a fundamental element of the message. Really, so what I think works with our names is Billy and Dom, blah blah blah. Billy and Dom, that works. But Dom Monahan and Billy Boyd, I think, works yeah, better. Because I've always said to you over the years, whenever we're doing something together, I've always said. It should be Billy and Dom. It shouldn't be Dom and Billy. I think Billy and Dom just rolls off the tongue a little bit better. But I think Dom Monaghan and Billy Boyd runs better than Billy Boyd and Dom Monaghan. Mm, yeah, you might be right there. Lovely. I'm glad we sorted that, Dom. Great observation. Second. Potato re- scones. Regarding your potato scones recipe, which is one of the greatest in the world, Dom, mm. triangles don't waste more dough than squares because any square can be turned into two triangles. Just cut it diagonally. And it's just the same. So you can keep the traditional triangles with the peace of mind that you're maximizing dough usage. Thanks for doing the show. You guys rock. Here's why my sisters... Oh, jeez. Knocked them right you off. got an itchy ear there. Yeah, I did, and I knocked my cans off. Uh, my sister says that the reason they're triangles... They're weapons. 
so you can fit them in the frying pan in a sort of circle. So if you put all the triangles together like a pizza, then it makes a sort of circle. Great. And then it sits in the frying pan without wasting any frying pan space. Great. Yeah, I'll go for that. I'll go for that. And oh, well done, Margaret. Thank you. And thank you, Christian K. Now, another uh, message here from Zane A. Right. Regarding Billy's knee. Right. Um, Zane A didn't say where they're from. Right. From Austin. Oh, from Austin. Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Zane said, hello, I just discovered your podcast and I'm pretty early in the episodes. Okay, right. but if Billy's knee is still sore, I have a quick suggestion that might be helpful. You may have heard of zero shoes. No, I haven't. Okay. Apparently normal shoes weaken the foot and the incline in the sole can lead to a strain on the body's joints, knees included. They work for my knee pain, but it did take a while to adapt. Hopefully that can help or preferably Billy is better now. Thanks for this treasure of a podcast. I'm enjoying it, especially Dom. Oh, thanks, uh, Zane. Oh, no, I, just, I, I added that last bit. Look. Thank you for that, Zane. I might try those. Um, I think uh, me falling off a motorbike when I was 16 really affected my knee. Where were you? Uh, Rossi. Rossi, Italy? No, Rossi's a little island off of the west coast of Scotland. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were you going fast? Yeah. So talk us through that. Did the bike fall underneath your knee or something? So I was there with my friends. It was one of the first holidays that we all had together, 16 years old. Oh, debauchery. Stupidly, the guy at the motorbike store rented us motorbikes. Mm. And I was I was dashing around for a couple of days. Loving it. So loving it. Loving the freedom, Dom. Mm. I wore a helmet. Don't you worry okay. about that. But I was coming down to a junction and a car swooped out in front of me. And I and I and I, I put I, I put on the anchors, brakes. I put on the brakes there, the and and the back wheel went. I, I can I imagine it now. Yeah, I can my see that. Butt was gone like that. Yeah. And I put my leg down to kind of stop myself, and the motorbike sort of hit it, and then I just ended up on the ground. Oh. And uh, and and my knee was really sore. Oh. And they took me to the hospital in Rossi, and uh, I, I remember phoning my sister. And I says, I can't, I can't go. We're supposed to go home the next day. Can't go home. I'm in the hospital. She says, I bet you're not. I bet you don't want to go to work. Yeah. yeah. I bet you're out drinking with your mates and yeah. gallivanting. Gallivanting all over Rossi. But so I was no, in I've been injured. I've been yeah. significantly injured. This might this might affect the rest of my life, Margaret. Yeah. And I, well, I tore the ligament and I got all the uh, cartilage taken out. Mm. And then, and, and it was about six months of physiotherapy. And I, and I couldn't play football anymore. Oh, really? Because I remember you and I would take a drive quite often, actually. We probably did it over 10 times in New Zealand, in Wellington, to a place called Castle Point. Yep. You drive kind of up a mountain, yeah, don't you? And yeah. then you come down the other side of the mountain. It's about an hour and change drive uh, to get to Castle Point to go surfing with our mates. And I was behind you at one point. And you were giving it this in your mirror. We didn't have mobile phones at that point. You were giving it this in your mirror, pointing like that. I didn't know what you were doing, but you were basically saying, right. come on, let's pull, pull over. Pull in, I'm saying. We got to the top of the hill, uh, and I remember thinking, he's run out of petrol. And I went over and said, what's going on? And you said, I don't think I can drive anymore because my knee is locking, and it's excruciatingly painful. It's, it's been with me my whole life, Tom. Um, I get years and years of it being okay, and then something will move, and then, oh, something will happen. Mm, Do you I remember can... once we, we were running out of petrol? Because I don't know if you remember, but we had 
we had cards for petrol in New Zealand mm. that we could use. Yeah. That the studio played for, paid well, for. Of course they did. But it wasn't a lot of these petrol stations. They were just in certain places. Mm. And your friend Tom was over visiting you, mm. and he was in the car with us, and we'd almost let the petrol run out. We're like going over that hill, going. Oh no! And he's like, "Why didn't you put in like five dollars before you give it?" We're like, "No, because we get it free with this card if we can just make it to that garage." <laughs> cheap, we're cheap, uh, very cheap. Now there's another one here about misheard lyrics. You want to read this yeah, out? Yeah, you ready, Tom? From Joe, from the Forest of Dean. I don't know where the Forest of Dean is. It's a great name for a place. Mm. Isn't it? I mean, I've heard of it, but I, I don't know. know where it is. Anyway, my wife is a One Direction fan, and when our daughter was little, we used to listen to them in the car. They have a song called Perfect that has this lyric, Dom. If you like causing trouble up in hotel rooms and if you like having secret little rendezvous, mm. right? But I get into the habit of singing runny poos oh, instead of rendezvous. My, sis, my daughter loved it, but my wife hated it. <coughs> most, most wives will hate runny poos because they're usually... Um... The person that has to clean them up. If you like causing trouble up in the hotel rooms and if you like having secret little poos. Runny poos. Runny poos. You changed the lyric again, man. <laughs> How ironic. Um, um, I've always said, we're not there yet, but I've always said there was a certain amount of subscribers or listeners where I would tell the story where I accidentally shat myself at work. but I don't. 200,000 we need. Is that right? I don't think we're there yet. Well, we at Johnny Clues on we YouTube. now. Not yet. We're not there yet. Don't, don't say our little. Nearing 123,000. 123,000. But guys, sub subscribe. I'm sure you are if you're listening or watching, but tell your friends. Tell your friends, hey, guys, subscribe, because if we get 200,000 um, listeners, Don Monahan's going to tell us the time that he... Um, Lost control of his bowels while wearing shorts at work. It was awful. I fell into my sandals. It's a fantastic story, and there is sandals involved. Yeah. Now, the last bit of uh, cor correspondence... Oh, not the last, I see. But a piece of correspondence here about a misheard lyric from Sean Fitzsimmons via YouTube, who said, My five-year-old thinks the end of Smells Like Team Spirit by Nirvana is Kurt Cobain yelling, A potato! over and over again. A potato, a potato, a potato, a potato, yeah! Yeah, I could see that. Hey, what a video. Put them in the pot, mash them, spud them. I can't remember that line. It was Sean Astin's. Yeah, the video is um, they, Nirvana, start playing at a kind of school sports hall and it all looks relatively civilized at the start mm -hmm. and then by the end of it, the lights have gone down. Everyone's moshing around. The cheerleaders have gone nuts. It starts off as like a... Take your time. How was that? Hit me baby one more time. Oh, Britney. Britney. It looks like a Britney Spears, but it doesn't end like a Britney Spears. No, it ends like a Sex Pistols video. Yeah. Um, okay, another piece of correspondence. William. Anne from Maine says, Hello. Did you all name your swords on set? What were they called? I thought of this because Aragon's first sword name isn't mentioned. And then I wondered about everyone else's as well. Thank you. I love the podcast. Did you name your sword? 
does Mary's sword have a name in the book? I don't think it does. Nah. <clears throat> it's not noble swords. It's just someone's dagger, isn't it, that we've got? Yeah, given to us by Strider at the time. Yeah. Right, in Aragon. Pick Wasn't it... Sean Astin's sword called the Little Prick? No. Was it not? Eh? I thought words. I might have been remembering it wrong. Um, <clears throat> no, so just Elijah's, which is called? Sting. And uh, Not to be confused with the lead singer of the police. No, because he doesn't glow blue when orcs are nearby. Not as far as we know. No. But those, that sword did. What's the name of Aragorn's sword? Uh, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gandalf has a sword name, right? Is it Glandring? 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 Your tongue's coming out more than the, than the words are saying. I'm thinking about tongue twisters. Uh, please send your tongue twisters because it's one of my favourite parts of the show, listening to Billy adopt an RP accent to do a tongue twister. Um, and then we've got one final message here from Derek... Loptek, who says, I teach middle school English, 7th and 8th grade. I've heard there is such a thing as imposter syndrome where some people think, some people feel like they have bitten off more than they can chew. You two were stars in the greatest film trilogy ever, arguably, in brackets. And I wonder how you approached it. Day in and day out, how did you adjust yourself to project confidence and get the impossible job done? What advice would you give to those who struggle with imposter syndrome? Asking for a friend. Not sure what what is imposter syndrome. Do you it's, know? Yeah, it's a very famous uh, syndrome. Not where, that famous. I've never heard of it. <laughs> where people um, don't feel like they deserve what's happening to them. Oh, I do. <laughs> you don't. I do. absolutely do. <laughs> free stuff, free pizzas, cash. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I deserve that. Yeah. Don't you do you feel? No, sometimes I feel a little bit. It's. I mean, I think it's like you know. It's a sort of working class chip on your shoulder, isn't it? It's a little bit sort of... I, I remember reading two famous actors. I think it was Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood. Mm. And Burt Reynolds was having panic attacks. Oh, no. And he said to Clint Eastwood, I just can't... Sometimes I can't get my breath. And I don't... And he says, look... You feel lucky. You deserve this. Everything that's happening to you, you deserve it don't ever feel any different. And that was, he obviously knew about imposter syndrome. Right. And I think Burt Reynolds just felt, this has all happened too fast. I'd, I'd, there's better actors than me. And, and it, he he had that. So just enjoy it. Just enjoy yourself. That's what Dom says. Enjoy He's it. Never felt a bit of that. Never. Well, actually, thinking about it now, when you, when you explain what it was, there was one time where the four hobbits were approached by Apple. Do you remember this? Yeah. This was when Fellowship had come out or when yeah, Two Fellowship. Towers came out? I think it was Fellowship. Fellowship had come out. We were lucky enough to be in what was at that point the, the biggest film on the planet, no question. And Apple approached the Four Hobbits and they said, "If you, in New York, if you are willing to take a photo outside the Apple store, you can go basically on a... Apple supermarket sweep. Yeah. And we got iPods, laptops, cameras, video cameras. I mean, Sean Astin almost left with the furniture in there. Do you it remember? Was, it, it was an amazing time. And it, what a great memory. And they took a photo and we got all these computer things. And But I remember afterwards, my lovely agent in London, 
bored pill. Mm. Says, just give me a call when something like that happens. Because we'd probably have made about 50 times more if it had been an official four. Yeah, we probably would have. They saw an, op- they saw an opportunity. <laughs> they saw an opportunity. So but we thought we did great with that. Yeah, we got free stuff. <laughs> and your agent's probably saying, well, you could have got free stuff and a lot of cash <laughs> at the same time. And but I could have got 10% of the cash. Oh, yeah, of course. But it was an amazing moment. But I do remember sitting in my hotel room and thinking, wait a second. So just because I'm in these films, they're going to give right. us all of this stuff. So that's a mini imposter syndrome, but it doesn't happen often. Usually I think, absolutely, that's mine. But that's, that's, that's someone else said that, don't they? That, like when you're when you're not working and you're skint and you're trying to make the rent, you can't get anything. And then when you've done a job and you've got a bit of money in your pocket, that's when people want to give you free stuff. It's weird, <sighs> isn't it? Because Leonardo DiCaprio, fantastic actor. I love all the work that he does. Brilliant. Yeah. Seems to be a fantastic guy. Loves his conservation, does all the right things. Yeah. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio probably can just call any company out there and say, fancy sending me your stuff? And they'd mm. say, yeah, we'll do that. You want a free car? Yeah. You want to stay at this yeah. hotel? Yeah. And he's, he can afford yeah. to pay for it. These car companies should give it to other people. Mm. Just give them cars. Mm-hmm. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Now, Billy, mm. you and I have very busy lives. We're racing around all the time. Oof. We also have a podcast to do. Yeah. It can be stressful. Maybe we need a little bit of better help. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling you to always do more, sleep less, grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself. Do less and maybe try some therapy. Mm-hmm. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Mm. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Friendship Onion listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash onion. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash onion. Hey, Billy. What? I'm taking a flight soon. I know that. Yeah, I'm going through an airport, and one of the things that I like to make sure that I have ready to go is my ExpressVPN account. Because using the internet without ExpressVPN is like taking a call on a train or a bus on speaker for everyone to hear. You don't know who has access to your most private, sensitive information, so don't be that person. And in the U.S., they can legally sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. Terrible. I know. Anyway, ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that people can't peep on your online activity. Mm-hmm. Just fire up the app and click one button. It works on phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. No wonder it's rated number one by Business Insider and The Verge. Secure your online activity today at expressvpn.com slash onion and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free. That's expressvpn.com slash onion. Expressvpn.com slash onion. What, what are we doing now, Dom? Well, should we bring on Marco for the second oh, part of this Oh, that's a great idea. Because... Um, He's a fascinating guest and a great friend, and I think you guys will really enjoy listening to him 
talk about what his life was like when he was making the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I was going to ask you, Mark, maybe, maybe you can't answer this or maybe enough mm. time's gone by where you can. For you, during the filming process, yeah. what was the biggest problem that you had to try and solve? During the filming process? Yeah. Well, you woke up and thought, this is the one, this is the doozy. Gosh, I wish something would come to mind quickly. Mm. The what about the stew incident? You were around for the yes. unfortunate... Yes, I was recasting about. I, I was around for 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 the Stewart incident, and I probably and I was probably more involved in that than I might have been otherwise. Um, yeah, so you know, we, we cast Stuart Townsend to be Aragorn, um, who is someone that, that 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 Peter felt very strongly about, and and all you all guys went down. Everyone went down early. Yeah, right. We were with Pete uh, with Stu for what at least six weeks or so before, yeah, maybe yeah. even more. Yeah, for, you know, sword horse fencing, training, sword training, whatever, sure. whatever's going on. And, and I remember, and so Stuart went down and part of that process, and one, one note that the studio had, which I had communicated is like, cause Stuart is like, is quite slim and, you know, he's, he's athletic, yeah. but he was, and we, so we thought, well, maybe as part of his process, you know, you know, There'll be, you know, there'll be training, but apart from horses and everything else he's going to do, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that inadvertently, when you when you do those kinds of things, I think looking back on it, it can create it can create insecurity or it, it can create not an ideal environment sure. for people. I'm completely guessing. Right. Um, so when ultimately the decision was made to go a different way, I remember thinking that, like, you know, it's you know, obviously. They had their own process, you know, Peter and Stuart about what, you know, what was a fit and what wasn't a fit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was hard. I was in a hotel room in London when that decision got made. Mm. And I got woken up at two in the morning by Barry, you know, and um, and yeah, we had to move very quickly uh -huh. to, to make that change. I remember I wrote down three or four names on a hotel pad. I wrote down um, Vigo, Russell Crowe and Jason Patrick at the yeah. time. Oh, nice, Those are the names nice, that I wrote nice down. Names. Those are the names I wrote down at the time. And then of course, by the time I got a hold of Peter and Fran, they had already written, they were already had Vigo on their list. That, well, there you go then. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how that tended to happen. So that's certainly kind of a standout problem. Um, but in terms of the amount of units that, that the trilogy had going at any given point in different parts of New Zealand, different call times, different actors, so many different crew members, is it overwhelming for you to, to be aware of the fact that this is such a huge operation or do you treat it like Pete was doing, which is a massive independent film? I treated it the way Pete did. And also we were very fortunate. I mean, each unit apart from Barry Osborne, we had these robust production managers for every unit, as you guys know, and robust ADs. So it really was an unbelievably great team. Mm. So I tried, I remember tried never to think about the fact that we had seven units going. Mm. If you include like miniature unit and blue screen unit and sort of Gollum unit, you mm. know, like that, I tried never to think about it too much. Mm. But then when we would watch dailies, if you guys ever did that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course it was on film. Yeah. So there's no, <laughs> there's no fast forwarding. There's no anything you watch and that could, that could, that took two, three hours. Sometimes. Could you believe that Pete did that? Yeah, Ev, I can, After all yeah. his filming and then sitting watching sometimes 20 takes of yeah. the same thing 
watching every day. I could, I would go once every. Yeah, you know, every we so would often. go every couple when it of was weeks. Your weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we go when it was Billy's close. Come on, up. you've got to come. Down. Oh, let's see some magic. <laughs> I remember Philippa telling me that. I remember Philippa saying because I made I made mention of that. You know, Pete goes to dailies every night, and Pete and Phil said, "Well, Pete's up at you know four thirty-five in the morning, talking to LA, talking yeah. to New York. Then he does a full day's work. Then he goes and watches two, three, sometimes four hours of dailies. Then he goes home." Then between him and Fran and Phil, they make sure that they know what's going on tomorrow. Talks to you, right. talks to Barry, talks to Zane. Then gets back on the phone with LA and, and yeah. New York. You know, Phil was saying, you know, Pete might be lucky enough to get five, six hours sleep a night if he's lucky. Yeah. The great thing about Pete was anytime, because there were times where obviously Pete looked exhausted. And, you know, the, I mean, he's, he's still a little bit like this now, but I, I remember his hair grew out very long and he was never cleaning his glasses and walking around barefoot. And there were times where I'd say, are you okay, Pete? You know, you know, obviously looking a bit tired. And Pete would always be like, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Yeah, that's I'm, true. I'm here making this incredible film in my own country, having a great time, you know. So yeah. again, it all trickles down from, yeah. The, yeah. from the top. Right? No one can complain if the leader has got that level of stamina and focus. And by the way, all those dailies, when we were in edit, he would remember like, there's a take where... Billy does a thing yeah. with his hand. Mm. And I really, I think that's the one. Mm. And sure enough, I, you know, there would be the thing. I'd be like, how did you know? I I'd was like, going to yeah. mention that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to mention that. I had the same experience. I was in dailies one time. It was just me. I think I was waiting for one of your close-ups. And, um, <laughs> and there, was a, there, was a, there was a sequence that they seemed to, I don't think they ever used in the trilogy, which was slightly God's view of Orlando Gimli, sorry, not Orlando, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn on horseback going through a kind of mountainous path, slightly, slightly bird's eye view. So you're kind of seeing the, the top of these guys just snaking through a path. Pete had a little, one of those little laser pointers, and we were watching, you know, take two or take three. And Pete, Pete said the same thing that you said. He said, oh, wait, hang on a second, guys. There's a shot that's a little lower, and it's a little bit more kind of hero Aragorn. Let's fast forward through all this stuff and get to that shot. I was like, how does he know? Yeah. He's just spent all day on set doing yeah. something else. Yeah. I mean, he, he, is, a, he is a brilliant mind, Pete. Um, but by that goes the full circle back to your original question about like the most important thing is for people wanting to be in the business is finding these kinds of collaborators to work with. Mm. Because one thing that New Line had going for that no one else, you know, there were people in Hollywood that didn't even take the meeting. Yeah. on Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's not, no judgment, that just happened. <laughs> yeah, but. but. But because we knew him as a person, mm. not just, oh, he wrote a great Nightmare on Elm Street script or, mm. oh, we liked Heavenly Creatures, you know, that anyone can know that. Mm. But you knew him as a person of, in terms of character, stamina, you know, integrity, mm. someone that's not just gonna like give up when the going gets tough. Mm. Like, you know, that would never happen yeah. ever, ever, yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, he's just not that guy, is he? Um, Here's, I'd like to get your side of this, Mark, because um, obviously it was a different um, experience for all of us when we got to the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. And as a producer, what Lord of the Rings did at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, as someone who's not a producer, seemed really ballsy yeah. and kind of, in some ways, old-fashioned or something, yeah, like sure. old Hollywood. And I'd love to get um, 
uh, any story that you have of how that happened. Um, for people who don't know, Lord of the Rings did a big thing at Cannes. I mean, before big, the first, yeah, very big. They had sets over there. Uh, brought a lot of the actors over. We showed about twenty six minutes of the film. Twenty six minutes. Yeah. Moria, yeah. Right. So it was it was just getting through the kind of watcher. It was Moria bookended with with really robust montages that include film one and film three. It was That's, extraordinary, it and was we had a. We had a I mean, massive party that was all themed around Lord of the Rings. So yeah. you could literally walk into a Lord of the Rings party with, you know, little wooden kind of, you know, flagons of ale. And, and there was the, a Hobbit band playing. There was, a, Hobbit band there was a, a Hobbit bar, wasn't it? An oversized bar. It was as if Lord of the Rings had taken over that part yeah. of Cannes. I was the same as you. I thought, this is a this is a big swing. I think at the time I didn't really. I was just like... You, you know, were we, drunk though. Remember how drunk, drunk you were? Yeah. Very <laughs> but drunk. We, we were in New Zealand doing it and then we were in yeah. Cannes doing it. It didn't seem... But looking back now, yeah. I mean, what? who made that decision and mm. what was the idea and, and what was it like as a producer to be in Cannes that... that, that the year? energy was insane. Though. It was great. I mean, there was, there was a prelude to the moment. Earlier, we had brought... New Line had brought some of the key overseas distributors of the movie down to Wellington to sort of see things and see some footage. And everyone was very nervous because all we had was dramatic scenes. There was no visual effects scenes, no action scenes. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, we're really gonna show this to be like, people are gonna get the wrong impression, even though they read the script. Mm -hmm. And we showed the footage and people were blown away. They were by the quality of the acting and the writing well, and the direction. Well, you yeah. And someone who showed me name was one of our partners offered to buy just buy half the movie right there. Wow. And I thought for sure, oh, well, we'll we're definitely going to do that because mm -hmm. isn't it high risk? And yeah. of course, and Bob Shea said no. And I remember asking him later, like, why? Why? <laughs> he says, you don't sell 50% of something you know that's going to be great, even if it's like risky. You only sell 50% of something you don't think is going to work. Okay. And I'm like, smart, smart. businessman. No one has a business like yours with all its strengths and challenges. To succeed, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. And that is Indeed. Mm -hmm. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Mm, that's right. One of the things that I really like about Indeed is everything is put in one particular spot. Right. So you don't have to have all these pages open and maybe you get a little bit overwhelmed about looking for a reference here or... Looking for something else about hiring someone it's here? It's all in one It's all place. in one place, William. Lovely stuff, Dom. Now, 
Indeed knows that finding the right skills makes all the difference. That's why you only pay for applications from quality candidates that meet your must-have requirements. Mm -hmm. Start hiring right away with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash onion. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to indeed.com slash onion to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash onion. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Now, we're all trying to eat better, but a healthy breakfast doesn't have to be a boring breakfast, Tom. True, true. Magic Spoon has all the amazing flavors that you love, but without all the bad stuff. And it's amazing as a midnight snack right before bed. That's true. Here, I'll give you a few stats here. Go on. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carb in each serving. Only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your own custom bundle are cocoa-fruited, my favorite, frosted, mm, peanut butter, cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry cinnamon, plus the newly reformulated honey nut flavor that will now be added to the Magic Spoon's permanent collection. Well, it's about time it was permanent. Very tasty. Dom. It's one of my favorites. I love that. That honey nut, oh. fantastic. And tell you when it's great as well, after the gym. Mm. So you know what I was saying, it's great as a, a snack right before bed, also right after the gym, because it's got a lot of protein, you see. Yeah, that's true. So go to magicspoon.com slash onion to grab a custom bundle of cereal and be sure to use our promo code onion at the checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash onion and use the code onion to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. So cut to pre-can. No one, we're in New Zealand. No one knows anything about these movies. It's pre-internet. And in the vacuum of not knowing, people are just speculating. People yeah. and people are just speculating yeah. like, oh, Willow, like all the, you sure. know, people just saying fantasy as a genre, whatever they want to say. And it annoyed Peter, it annoyed Shay. And we thought, how can we shift the narrative? Mm -hmm. And we'd had this screening for this handful of buyers of, of the drama scenes. And so the thought was, why don't we go and recreate that, but add like robust ad action, like really serve a meal. So that was the thought. Mm. Crystallized around Moria relatively quickly. We put that together and then we thought, well, if we're gonna do that, well, then we have to do world media, all the distributors, throw a giant party. We have to literally treat it like it's a premiere, right. even though mm. it's not the whole movie. Right. And it was extremely exciting, but very stressful because it's literally like pointing like, I'm gonna hit the ball there. Right. And if you don't hit the ball there, then yeah. people say, well, why did you do that? Why did you call you, that out? If you were yeah. not gonna deliver, why on earth did you do that? Right. So even though we were all confident, it was really, it was scary. And I remember we showed the footage at the Olympia Theater yeah. in Cannes along uh, that back road. Um, and I remember after afterwards, like I was in the projection room, I, I actually wept. Wow. with joy and probably relief mm. that it was going. And our, I remember also our French distributor, Sammy Hadida, who has passed away, but he was a big barrel chested guy. And obviously he had bet his whole company mm. on these movies work. He literally picked me up like, like out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> he picked me up, which is not hard to do. And literally kissed me on the mouth, like a big French, like, <laughs> 
like that. And he was smiling so big, wow. like his face would crack apart. Yeah. And I realized right then, okay. It is an That's, extraordinary yeah. sequence. I mean, it's like, I, I often talk about that, that Moria moment with comparing it to the lobby scene in The Matrix, you know, yeah. the lobby scene in The Matrix where, you know, he, he asks for guns and they get all the rows of guns and then they walk into the lobby and the security guard says, please remove all metal articles. And you realize that Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss are just full of guns. And then you get that, you know, it's like a two minute sequence of just like, you know, shooting in slow motion and acrobatics. And if I were ever to try and introduce someone to The Matrix and they weren't sure, I would say, okay, let's watch this two or three minutes. That is the trilogy encapsulated. If you don't like that, yeah. it's probably not for you. The Moria thing, once they get into the tomb and Gimli realizes that these are his kind of fallen brethren, and then Sean Bean delivers that amazing, you know, line of they have a cave troll. And it's the first time that the, the, the fellowship really cements in that kind of Dungeons yeah, and Dragons totally. way yeah. of like, we're going to fight. Yeah. You've seen Legolas do some stuff. You've seen Aragorn do some stuff, but you do, you've not seen us as a crew. And even the hobbits are like, let's do it, even though we can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And then their cave troll comes in, which is at the time, and even now, is, is one of the most awe-inspiring special yeah. effects, you just, which, by the way, was a, a huge tennis, uh, a huge pole with a tennis ball on the end of it. Yeah, we, we filmed that for a long time, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and then you've got the run out, is it the goblins coming down the pillars or are they? That's, yeah, once yeah. after goblins. the, the battle's over and they're running toward Dwarodolf, then yeah. Goblins coming down and, you, and as an audience member, you think, whew, okay, that was hectic. And then uh, Gandalf announces that there's a Balrog and then you shall not pass. And then we all get spilled out. That was the first time I'd ever seen it in Cannes. And I remember thinking... Even even outside of me being involved in it in a minor way, I remember thinking that's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Yeah, my little nephew saw Lord, the first Lord of the Rings, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, about three weeks ago, and I said to him, "What did you think of the Cave Troll and the Balrog?" And he really liked the Cave Troll, but even now, he was like, "The Balrog was a little scary." You know, it still scares yeah. people nowadays, and that special effect is what twenty years old. It is, and by that was an early effect with fire, like using fire in that way. I only know this from the Weta people, not yeah. from myself, that the use of fire in that way was not something that people were doing. Like mm. that was a relatively new innovation. Mm. So it was like high risk. I remember at Weta Digital, there's something called the render wall, which is this giant bank. It was like a, it was like twice the size of this room with just rendering computer, blinking computers, mm. like, uh, which was, all the things when you put the Balrog shots in, they had to render themselves into shape and it would take like a day. Wow. And I would walk in and say, is the Balrog in there right is now? Right. Is he in there right now? Right. <laughs> and they say, yeah, he's in there. He's gonna be in there for like a month amazing. because of those, <laughs> you know, and you're like, it's amazing. And I remember I was with you. I have a distinct memory of being with you when we were asked by one of our lovely ADs to head to the Moria set for the first time. Yeah. And the hobbits used to have to wear these protective boots up to their knees to protect their hobbit feet. And the four of us had these protective boots and you and I were just kind of talking and chatting away about nothing in particular, not knowing, not really expecting anything, you know, that impressive to be happening. At least I wasn't. And then you turn this corner and walk into this room with 
cobwebs and skeletons with arrows in their skulls or in their rib cage and, you know, dust everywhere and and fallen rocks. And I remember the energy of Pete that day being so giddy. And I'd say, oh, Pete, this is incredible. And Pete, with his little giggle, it's great, isn't it? It's great. And like the carvings in the wall, (sighs) things that you would never see and it was all there. It was amazing. Well, the the crack, the crap tomb with all of this uh, dwarvish on that if you if you were able to read dwarvish yeah. it would all make sense and stuff yeah this uh, is all lovely Tolkien stuff you're talking about here. Mm. but no which makes me want to go way back Mark and see how did you get introduced to Lord of the Rings when you were, I think you said 13 yeah how did you find it it was because of Dungeons and Dragons there was um, there was a, a a coveted Dungeons and Dragons game among my little middle school friends and um where is this where did you here in los angeles oh in los angeles and um there was sort of a a, sort of a required reading list Uh for the game Uh and uh yeah and on top i actually read them out of order because i didn't realize there was a hobbit book that (laughs) that preceded it so i read lord of the rings first not really it was a box of books so i didn't i just sort of grabbed whatever was on top I did the same. I thought you meant you read it out of order in terms of you read Two Towers first and then Return of the King and then Fellowship. Yeah. But I did the same. I read Lord of the Rings first and then went back. And I, the, the first time I read The Hobbit was in New Zealand. That, that yeah. kind oh, of really? slightly bigger picture book version of The Hobbit, which yeah. includes all the text, but has some beautiful Alan yeah. Lee drawings alongside it. I had, I had read that. Um, I always say to people, in terms of an immersive experience, I think you can't beat Lord of the Rings. I agree. Being thrown into a world so completely and, yeah. and so entranced by Middle Earth, just yeah. you can't beat that. When I was young, and I've told this story before, we, we read The Hobbit as friends. And we didn't really read books together, but we, we read The Hobbit for some reason. And when I tried to read Lord of the Rings and it wasn't Bilbo as the right. protagonist, it, I just couldn't read it. I was like... I want more Bilbo Baggins, you know? Right. And uh, so I didn't read Lord of the Rings until just before the films. Wow. Yeah, and I love them. Yeah, they are incredible books. So, um, principal photography ends, Mark, and you have all of this footage, which is then getting put together. Is, with, with you chatting consistently, consistently with Pete, and obviously um, being at New Line, when did this kind of groundswell start of like, oh, we've we've actually got something here. This is starting to right. deliver. I mean, the can screen obviously was like the total affirmation that we had something. We all thought we had something, but that was like the outside validation mm. of it. I always had the faith of like a true believer, so I didn't have any doubt about it. But, you know, for people, for other people, like we never test screened the movies. We didn't have like test screenings and things like that. We would sometimes bring, I'd sometimes fly back with videotapes of, of early cuts and show them to a small group of new liners and just for like clean viewing. And I would just take notes and fly back right. to share them with Peter and Fran. Right. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, cause obviously the films in the early going, you know, films always start long and then they whittle themselves into shape. Yeah. So yeah, so the, the can screening was when it was clear. And it, Do you remember watching the, um, we go to New Line to watch the movies sometimes. Mm-hmm. That was that was always an amazing day. Yeah, it would be an afternoon and oh. we'd be waiting outside, like oh. very very overwhelming. Yeah, just straight and because you would always have 
you were allowed to bring a couple of guests, maybe yeah. an agent. So you're trying to make them feel, but you're also thinking, God, what's this going to be like? Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. I remember obviously back then, Elijah was still quite a heavy smoker. He doesn't smoke anymore. I'd never been a habitual smoker at all. But I remember leaving, it must have been fellowship with you and Elijah and a few other people. And Elijah went to smoke a cigarette and I said, can I have one of those cigarettes? <laughs> and Elijah went, yeah. And I remember just thinking, I don't know why I need a cigarette or if it's even going to help, but my the level of nervous energy yeah, yeah. having watched fellowship is so overwhelming. So so obviously there's a there's a very considerate path in terms of okay we've got something we're going to we're going to take it to can we're going to we're going to do quite a big like welcome to our movie once it starts to pick up this groundswell of interest post can what else do you do towards the lead up of fellowship to help turn this into the must-watch kind of Christmas release. It's funny, it's counterintuitive. Everyone decided to go quiet mm -hmm. because Can had been such a roar that the feeling was it's only May. The film's not coming out till December 17th. Mm -hmm. So let's just go silent mm -hmm. and then bring it back up again later because otherwise we felt it would be too much. We'd just be numb if we just kept pounding the drum. Mm -hmm. So that's what we actually did, which seemed seemed really smart now, but at the time is nerve wracking because you're kind of like, no, 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 let's fan the fame. But it was true. May to December is a lifetime. I don't remember, but did, 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 did Lord of the Rings do anything like closer to the release? Did they do like a Time magazine article or a live? Oh, yeah. or, I know we did Vanity Fair, but that was during principal photography. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of stuff. And now, but now I'm, my memory is challenged to remember what it was. Yeah, I wonder, because there was that incredible single image of Elijah Frodo holding the ring and the glow of the ring kind of lighting his face almost in a kind of yeah. Rembrandt type yeah. homage, right? That was one of the first pieces of key art that I remember thinking, oh, perfect, so classy. Yeah. You've got the gold kind of font of Lord of the Rings and just this image of Frodo looking extremely overwhelmed by this ring in his yeah. hand. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Absolutely lovely, Tom. Billy and Dom eat the world. Guys, we're back. And hey. we're in my particular favorite section of the show. Billy and Dom eat the world. Because I like to have guilt-free snacks. And in a situation like this, it's like, I just have to eat what the guest brings, you and know. And the, the calories don't count. It's like True. being on a plane. They don't count on a plane either, <laughs> Now, Marco, you, you've always been one of the more generous people that I've been lucky enough to know in my life. Because... Every single time we have gone to eat, you've also you've always said this is on me, and you have that iconic line of the talent never pays, right. which, which I used to love. Yes, I was saying to Billy before you got here, which I, it still makes me cringe to this day, but it happened. I remember us all being in London. Yep, we went to Nobu mm -hmm. with you. Yes. Elijah, Orlando, I think Billy was there. I was there. A few other people. It was kind of a table of 10 or 12, something like that. And about halfway through dinner, you said, guys, this is on me. And I remember thinking, that is a heck of a, a bill. And you said, no, no, that's how it works. That's how it, it works. It is how it works. It was an amazing night. But we're going to go back here and talk about one of the things that you introduced into my life, which is mochi. Billy. I... Absolutely love mochi. Yeah. I really, I really, it's, and this is mochi ice cream we're having, mm. isn't it? Yes. 
the texture <sighs> is extremely Moorish. So, so what's been your story with mochi, man? So the, the truth is the first time, and I think the last time I had mochi ice cream was with you. Oh. And the reason I nominated it for this, and I actually brought a little artifact to connect it. So in my pocket, I have a receipt from a <gasps> dinner that we had, unfortunately, you, you weren't there. Which that I wasn't find, that, oh. But it was from November of, November of 2001. Wow. And basically, <laughs> I only- What are you doing keeping that? Receipt? No, no, here's why. So basically <laughs> we had this great dinner. It was you, Elijah, Orlando, me, Orlando's friend, Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian's um, cousin, yeah. Was it here? In here Los in LA, Angeles, right? Hannah, Hannah came with Wood, Elijah, Elijah, right? And then I someone whose name I don't recognize, but oh, anyway. Oh, I can say it. I but, remember calling them Japanese gummy bears. You did, you called them Chinese gummy bears. Oh, Chinese gummy bears. So basically we went and we did this thing and we, we just shown the movie, not in its final form and it's nearly final form. We were all on a big high. Yeah. So we all went down to this restaurant, Uban, and had like an insane meal, like the kind you're just describing. Oh, no. And I said, meals on me. And everyone's like, no. I said, yes, I insist, talent never pays. And then Orlando said, you know, Mark's like the 10th member of the fellowship, which he then wrote, Mark, you are the 10th member of the fellowship. Thanks for more than dinner, Orly. And then you wrote, Marky, thanks for the Chinese gummy bears. Till next time, Dom. Wow. And down at the bottom is mochi ice cream, mochi ice cream. Oh, Can I have a look, Mark? Yeah, it's for you, look. Oh, oh man. That is brilliant. Oh, that's what an amazing answer. My gosh, it wasn't a cheap meal either. It happened just organically. So people started grabbing, no, I'll sign it. I'll write it. That's great. What oh, a that is brilliant. Thing. Now, who was the person that you couldn't? There's Elijah. Right. There's Hannah. There's and Orly. you are the 10th member. And yeah. you are officially. I, yeah, that's right. You have thanks the, to you guys as number 10. You have the uh, tattoo, I have the number right? 10 tattoo, thanks to you all. Wow, Elijah said, hey, Mark, thanks for such a brilliant, memorable dinner. And the first night of the first cast screening. So you must have been in Scotland. Yeah, must have been. And missed that one. So we've got Sebastian here and then we've got... There's something, some little scribble. Mark, your commitment to the film is infectious. The food was as well. Thank you for both, Sebastian. I don't know who that... I don't know who the other person is either. We'll figure it. Yeah? Yeah. I'm a, that's amazing that you kept that just as a little artifact, Mark. At well, the time, I had a little Brilliant. box which I put like, I have the tickets from the Return of the King Oscar right. ceremony. Right, right. So anyway, we had mochi and so I thought I would nominate that, that we reconvene I love it. the mochi. I remember this night because I remember having not had it and you you insisted, oh, we have to have mochi. <laughs> and I tried it and I was like, oh, this consistency is incredible. And we ordered quite a few of them. <laughs> I'll read a little blurb here. Mochi's Japanese cake sweet made from pounding uh, glutinous rice, which you said. Yeah, uh, I was earlier, right. Into a sticky paste and molding it into shape. Mochi can then be prepared in many ways. Mochi ice cream being one of the most recently implemented ideas. Most popularly, the mochi includes a sweet filling inside such as anko, which is red bean paste, to make a Japanese confectionery wagashi called daifuku. Amazing. <laughs> I love, look at the end of this is one mochi ice cream, one mochi ice cream, one mochi ice cream, two mochi ice creams, one mochi ice cream, no, we were, we were, two mochi ice creams. <laughs> you must have no. just been like yeah, more yeah. of that. No, because we were all we're high. totally high yeah. on like the screening. Yeah. There was no way we weren't going to go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That's um, brutal. You must have had two mochi ice creams each. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let's try it. Well, now, now there's a. It looks like there's a green tea, and what would the pink strawberry? One be? I strawberry. Think, I think we've been told strawberry. We're getting the. We're getting confirmation Ooh, can from I the booth. Can I have a strawberry? Can I have a strawberry? Here you go. Hold on. Thanks. There you go. And this one's green tea. There you go. Now, just talk to us about the talent never pays, Mark. That's a producerial kind of golden rule. Because it's it. Or is that just a you thing? I think it's both. In my very very short brief window when I was a writer and not yet a would-be producer executive, that 10 seconds, my producer took me to lunch when I, when I got my little development deal and he took me to lunch. Which and, one? Which I'll tell the green tea since it's right there. It's almost melted. Just and he said, um, and we went to lunch and he, um, I was gonna, I got my wallet out to pay or to, to split, I think I was gonna split. Mm. And um, he said, no, 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 mm. talent never pays. Mm. That mm. was it, hold on. Mm. Moorish, oh very Moorish. Reminds me of a girlie. Mm. Mm. Is that lovely? It is really, really good. So like, good. it's really good. We were right to be excited. Whoa. Oh my God. Whoa. Well, let me give you some more facts. How far did you get down to? I only did the first one, Bill. <laughs> this, is, this is really mm. seriously good. Mm. I forgot that it was this good. Now, how come you, you've not eaten it for such a long time, Mark? Because I just wasn't rolling with people that were mochi people. Okay. <laughs> mochi people. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, mochi is part of a Japanese tradition during the new year. Is that right? Yeah, well, there's a tradition... Uh, a traditional ceremony called mochisuke, mm. in which people use a traditional mortar uh, to hold the sticky rice and alternate using a giant wooden mallet to pound the rice into mochi. During the new year, a certain kind of mochi called kagami mochi is also made as a traditional decoration placed in household uh, Shinto uh, altars. Kagami mochi consists of two round mochi cakes stacked atop of each other, which has been said to symbolize various things, including the coming and going of years, yin and yang, the moon and sun. Regardless, mochi is indeed not just a sweet, but a traditional food relevant to Japanese culture. I think the first time I went to Japan was with you, Mark. No, couldn't no? have been, because I've not been yet. Oh, in that case, cancel that. It was with you. Give us, give us that. The green. I think you went to Japan the year before me as well. I went with, um, I can't I believe you've never been with all bad. that success. I know, it's bad. Oh, By the way, I did all these movies with wonderful Jackie Chan who invited me oh God, to yeah. China multiple times or to Hong Kong back then. And, uh, and of course, then my parents go to Hong Kong mm. for part of a vacation. Mm. And Jackie Chan sends like a limousine oh, and wow. an assistant takes them to all these amazing places that no tourist would ever think to go. And they come back and say, Jackie Chan is the best person in the universe. And I'm like, I know, I know. Are you I hope, still in I hope, correspondence with him? I'm still in touch with him, yeah. So what so, is he, what, you're right there. I hope people are realizing uh, as I started this conversation with, is that you are, one of the most important pieces of the Lord of the Rings jigsaw. Right. Absolutely, Mark. And I think everyone knows that or they should know that. And on top of that, uh, the Jackie Chan thing, yeah. you were yeah. instrumental in getting Jackie Chan uh, to, to America. Is that right? Yeah, he'd, he'd been to America before, a, a, a decade before, mm -hmm. and had made some films with some that just didn't reflect his 
what he felt was his spirit, mm-hmm. creativity, creativity. Then he went back to make Hong Kong films. And when he made this film, Rumble in the Bronx, and it's similar, it's similar going back to your question about how to do what you do. Like if you're fortunate enough to have a platform and your platform is with Bob Shea, mm-hmm. say, I knew that Bob Shea had regretted that earlier in his corporate life, he had wanted to be, wanted to distribute the films of Bruce Lee and he lost out to another company competitively, couldn't do it. Wow lost out, missed opportunity. Mm. I saw this film, I thought, and I'd been a big Jackie Chan fan mm-hmm. anyway. Mm. And I had said, you know, Bob, this is a chance to, this is a chance to do a new thing, mm-hmm. like with a new artist and this would be even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and he backed me on that. And we then, we ended up acquiring three films, three of his Hong Kong films. And as importantly, that's why we made The Rush Hour franchise, not me, but New Line made the rush out. So that turned into a huge, huge deal. Mm. Do you want a strawberry one? No, I'm good. Have you had enough? I've had enough. John, would it be possible to put these in the freezer? Are you wanting them for later? Well, I just think that they're on the turn. They're absolutely delicious. Shall we give them marks? We mark things in three ways, Mark. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks, Johnny The flavor, of course, the aesthetics, how it looks, and how useful is it as a food? I gotcha. Which is a strange category, uh, but we enjoy John, it. John, delicious. Good. Where Nutritious. were they from? Where were they from? Sorry, I had the whole food ones that my wife's like. Well, you can enjoy them tonight, John. I will. I might eat another one when we get Well, let's out. put them in the freezer. Get them in the freezer, would you, John? Lovely. The Absolutely taste. delicious. I'm a big fan of green tea. I have of my morning ritual in the morning, in the morning, obviously, my morning ritual is to uh, have a matcha green tea okay. in the little traditional Japanese um, cup with a little whisk and you stir it around in some cold water and get it all mixed in and kind of frothy and then you fill it up with hot water, not boiling water because mm. if you put boiling water on green tea, it makes it bitter. So that taste of the green tea mochi is probably my favorite out of the two. Wow. Do, you, do you like the strawberry or the green tea? I think uh, I, I like both, but I think because I had the strawberry first, I, I, I think I enjoyed that one more. Okay. But I, I, I love both of them. Did you know that um, putting ice cream in it is a, a that was a sort of American invention? Right? It says here, yeah, uh, around 1981, when the Korean company Lotte began selling the sweet as a special type of snow viewing daifuku. <laughs> anyway, they basically said means. it's better with ice cream. Well, everything is. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Um, do you have a fra- favorite out of the green tea or the strawberry? I, I like the green tea. Best. I like the green tea one. It's a little bit more of a, yeah. of a delicate flavor. I'm going to give the green tea one an 8.2 out of 10. It was a great flavor, Dom. I'm going to give it a 9.2. I love them. Mark? It's out of 10. You can use a decimal point if you want. So then I'll go with the 9.5. Oh, Ooh, it's up there. It, for the green tea. Aesthetics, I mean, I, I like the, the cold, lovely, cold, cold, coldness. And there's ice cream inside, but it won't melt because it's surrounded by mm, the mochi. Sticky rice, yeah. yeah. So sticky and nice. It's a, t- it's a 10 for me. A 10? 10. I love the way it, it felt It could in not my hand. look any better. No, I loved it. <sighs> loved it. I'll give it a 9. I'm oh. going with 10 because form and function. 10? Yeah, exactly. Wow. You could put it in your pocket and it wouldn't melt. Well, I don't know about that. Usefulness. How useful? Can you make Mm. a pie from it? I don't know. Could you? Can can you? 
what, what else would you do with it? Are we talking about mochi? It? Are you talking about mochi ice cream? Mochi ice cream. Mm. I bet you could do a mochi ice cream cake, right? Yes. You must be able. But using the mochi ice because mochi, I'll give you that. That is because I see Pinkberry. Right. They put mochi. You can ask them for mochi. Okay. But you it's, said it's an under there. Sometimes it's not thing. on the thing. You can't right. see it. And you say, have you got mochi? They go, and it's underneath. And they make that noise when they do it. But one time I was getting it, and the guy who was serving looked like a bodybuilder, you know? And he says, do you know how many calories are in that? And I was mochi like, oh. in the... And the mochi, he says, one scoop is like 200 calories. <laughs> and he put me off it. Because it was tasty, but... I went to a restaurant last week. I'm slightly digressing here, but I, I just need to say this. We won't mention the restaurant. Okay. I went to a restaurant last week. The waiter put my plate down on the table yeah. and then noticed there was a hair on the plate. Hey? And just put the plate down and went, oh, sorry about that. And just walked away. And I thought, maybe take the plate away. Yeah. And do a little... Don't... And, and don't yeah. show me that there was a hair on my plate and then just say, and I'm going to leave you to that. How many calories are yeah. in a hair? It wouldn't be much. Not much. Nah. Nah. Uh, usefulness. You could make a cake out of it, but it's not a huge amount. I mean, it's useful as in its taste and and look, but other than that, you're not going to say, yeah. oh, get me the mochi ice cream. I'm going to use it for something. I'm going to give it a two. Yeah, well, you, I'm, I'm going to be more generous and give it a 3.5. <laughs> I'll split the difference at three. There you go. Um, in all the times that you've taken cast members for dinner and stuff like that, Mark, is there a particular one that stood out in terms of when you got the check and you thought, my goodness, that was a <laughs> heck of a night oh, that geez. I've enjoyed. I mean, that, that one, that Nobu night in London, I remember even for me, I thought, yeah. That is a nightmare. Because I personally, at that point, could not have afforded to pay for that dinner. Right. And you were like, guys, no problem. And I thought, I hope, I hope that's something that New Line is paying and not Mark. <laughs> um, but has there been, have you, have you bought dinner for 30 people, 40 people before? I bought, I bought, I bought dinner for 20 or 30 people, yeah. Ooh. I mean, here's the thing. When I was working at the studio, I was very blessed that I had... A, a, you know, a corporate credit card, which I could use as long as I used it responsibly sure. mm -hmm. in the right set of circumstances. So I didn't have to do it. But even now when I have my own company, Court 5, like I still believe talent never pays because the, the thing is without the artists and the material, there is nothing. Mm. And for me, and it's maybe a very old school of me, but what producing is, is basically taking artists and material and bringing money and distribution into orbit, like the four food groups. Mm -hmm. Those, without those four things, you can't have three, you gotta have four. Mm -hmm. And, but you can't even do the second two without the first two. Mm -hmm. So, and not everyone can do it. So if you're fortunate enough to be blessed with skills, which you then through craft, develop, improve, you know, so on, that's like, a, that's kind of like a miracle. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think, I just think that, uh, yeah, talent doesn't pay. Mm. Well, that's Fantastic. a lovely thing to hear, Matt. And I, I, love, I love that idea that that's how films are made. And uh, I, I know we're going to look forward to see many more films from you yeah. in the future. We can't wait. I'm going to be at WonderCon uh, 
in next month, April, because our TV show on Disney Plus, The Quest, is going to have a panel there. Ah, right. Everyone well, should go along to that, please. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about Court 5. Yeah, so, sure. So, um, how long's that company been going? And, you know, what's the kind of signature behind that particular company? Because that's all you, isn't it? Sure. It's, it's myself and Jane Fleming, who is another former New Liner with whom I'm partnered. Been had the company for about 10 years. And it's a classic independent production company. We do film and television. Um, opportunistically, it's not affiliated with it with a studio or a streamer. It just stands by itself. Mm. And we basically find artists and talent, you know, that we can get behind and work with them to try to make content happen. That's mm. literally what we do. It's, it's I know it sounds kind of like very straightforward, but that's really what the game is. I never tire of it. People often ask, with Lord of the Rings, like, you know, some people not so nicely, but, um, you know, do you worry that you peaked too soon? Uh And what the ignorance under that question is like, if you're doing it because of the craft and because you like making things, if you're a maker, Mm. then sometimes you're going to make something gigantic and sometimes you're going to make something smaller things in between. Mm. And it doesn't really matter what order they come in. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. you can't really control it. I often often relate particularly to actors for that reason, because roles, you know, different kinds of things, big roles, small roles, or a substantial role in a big thing versus a smaller thing. And I find that that's, when you look at the careers of really interesting actors, you find this great variety, mm-hmm. inevitably. Yeah. 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 And I mean, Lord of the Rings was such a, such a monster in so many different ways. I remember Pete saying to us, you know, several times that he would never make anything Correct. as big and huge yeah. and, uh, you know, life-changing as Lord of the Rings. And obviously he's, he's gone on to do some, Extraordinary things. Um, but the quest, so the quest has big ties towards your love of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Right? Just and, talk to us and, a little and bit Lord about Lord of the Rings. The it's, it's really simple. We, we've made it for Disney Plus, And basically we've taken eight real teenagers, middle schoolers, and we've dropped them into a fully immersive 360 degree fantasy world called Everrealm, where they are prophesied heroes inside a narrative that is unfolding. So we make it with, uh, with our partners are the folks that make The Amazing Race and who make uh, Queer Eye and Legendary on HBO Max. And mm-hmm. basically it's a show where kids come and try to save a kingdom, but there's scripted characters inside this kingdom and how the kids behave change the story, but there is a story unfolding through the whole thing. Mm. So it's this lovely hybrid immersive television experiment, mm. which Disney Plus has completely backed to the hilt and it's really exciting. Brilliant. Have you finished it now? We finished one? it. Yeah. So we have. So WonderCon is the is the kickoff of our sort of, you know, publicity outreach. Brilliant. WonderCon. Yeah. Oh, great. The quest. We do have a section in our show called Funky For You where we ask a guest to bring in a song that makes the feet tap a little bit. Yeah. You have a story behind. Yes. This song. Do you want to tell us or shall I read it out? Sure, I'll tell it to you. Okay, cool. It actually is inspired by your 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 episode with Elijah, because I too was brought taken by Elijah to Real Groovy. Mm-hmm. Elijah has like a first of all, I was very sad in my musical taste, very limited, maybe in my musical taste. Right. And when Elijah found out that was the case, because he is so robust and uh, has such a comp- missionary complex about music, mm-hmm. he said, All right. We're going, I'm going to find, we're going, just come. So we went to Real Groovy. 
He asked me a whole bunch of questions about things I liked. He made bunches of like, I was embarrassed. I didn't, I didn't have any like radio head. Like I, he introduced <laughs> me to like things, it's really embarrassing. Right, right. But basically he turned me onto a bunch of stuff. And then I started going back there on my own mm. and making my own selections. And one of the first selections I dared make by myself was... DJ Shadow, amazing artist. And we're gonna listen to a song by DJ Shadow called Midnight in a Perfect World. Foresight, more sight. The clock on the wall reads a quarter past midnight. Love DJ Shadow. I think that song also features in one of my all-time favorite documentaries, which is Dark Days. Have you seen Dark Days? I have not, but I know about that, yeah. Yeah, black and white documentary about the people living in the New York subway system. Never seen it. Oh, it's extraordinary. And DJ Shadow does all the music for that. And that song features in it heavily. Because at some point in that song, that song goes, Now approaching midnight. Yes, yes, yes. It's a great song. Um, And just to touch upon Real Groovy Records for a second, most Sundays, because we worked Saturdays, didn't we? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Most Sundays, the boys, which would be kind of myself, Billy, Elijah, and Orlando, and then other people would come into that group if they were around, would find themselves, after having breakfast at Fidel's or maybe Eva Dixon's, <laughs> we would all head over to Real Groovy Records, which was just a staple of Wellington Town Centre at the very end of Cuba Street, a big record shop, right? Yeah, it was yeah, big, yeah. full of beautiful people, all kind of struggling from the the night out on, on Saturday night. And... Uh, I mean, I dread to think how much money we spent in all Real our Groovy. per diems yeah. went into that went into store. That music shop. Hundreds of CDs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and when you think about it now, most things like you you pay for whatever streaming platform, and you can get most music now. Mm-hmm. But there's something wonderful about getting in a store, as you yeah. say, maybe with someone who's passionate about some type of music and introducing you and mm. taking that home and playing it. Yeah, I remember. So much I fun. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's so many different records or, or albums that I got out of Real, Real Groovy, but one of the ones that stands out because it's still a, a formative album in my life now, and I don't know why I bought it because it, it wasn't kind of being talked about or whispered about. But I was in Real Groovy on my own. I think it was in the middle of the week. The other boys were working on set. I went to Real Groovy and I bought the debut album by a band called Sigaros, this Icelandic band. Okay. I kind of talked about as kind of the Icelandic Radiohead, big, expansive kind of epic songs. They actually supported Radiohead at the Hollywood Bowl, which I went to, which was incredible. The front cover is this like alien fetus. Mm Mm-hmm. And I bought a few other things, but then I, I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And I bought it and didn't know anything about the band. Put it on. And it's one of the few moments in my life. I had it with Leonard Cohen. I had it with Paul Simon where I thought I've heard this before and I hadn't. Right. It's almost as if it, yeah, had, yeah. it had like sunk into my brain in some strange collective 
consciousness thing. And it's one of the real standout moments in music discovery for me. I was yeah. like, wow, it was just happenstance, you know? Mm. So thanks Real Groovy for that. Are they still around Real Groovy? I don't think they are, are I they? think they're in Auckland. I don't know if they're in Wellington anymore. Oh, uh, so sad. And you were talking about Eva Dixon's? Yeah. The cafe, I accidentally went there the last day that it was serving. Right. I don't know if it's moved or anything, but I, I was in Wellington uh, and I thought, I'm going to go to Eva Dixon's. And there was a sign up final day yeah. So I had breakfast and that was it. They're gone now. That's a shame. Oh, Dom, I don't want to stop it in the downer. <laughs> no, no. Well, Mark, it's been brilliant to have you on. Um, so great wait, wait to see you guys. Oh, is, it so we, is it funky? So we, we rate, so, rate this funkiness based on a level of funk, based on, um, is it Brahms? Brahms has no funk. <laughs> Zero level of funk. <laughs> to Prince. In Incredibly funky. That maybe, is most purple. Yeah, it's most purple. Right. It's the most funky you can get. Okay. And I would mark that because it's a DJ and it is very funky and I like the drum sound. I love drum sounds when it sounds all roomy. <laughs> I'm going to give that a DJ funk level of funk. Well, I mean, that is funky. There's well, it's, no it's even in the name. It says that. funk. <laughs> I'm going to give that a level of funk based on early Wu-Tang Clan funk, which is, oh, which is again, funky as heck. Again, funky. <laughs> What about you, Mark? I don't even have the language to rate it oh, okay. relative to something else. Well, here's a few examples of people at the high level of funk. Maybe Stevie Wonder would be a high level of funk. That Sly and the Family Stone. Right. Very funky. That's Bobby true. Womack, Tina yeah. Turner. Or if you don't think they're funky, you could say um, Strauss. <laughs> I, like, I would say Strauss is funky. Do you find Strauss quite funky? Very funky. Um, it's just, it's just. You don't have to mark that, but thank you very right. much for bringing Brilliant. the music. Yeah. Thank, oh, thank you. This you, has been Matt. so great hanging with you guys. Oh, it's amazing, and I'm sure people out there watching or listening to the show will be fascinated to find out your journey from a slightly different angle mm. of those trilogies. Obviously, they've heard us bang on about what it meant to be on set, but for you having to be one of the major players solving these very sophisticated problems on a day-by-day -day basis. Right. I'm sure people are fascinated. We'd love and to have you back And then the 10th member of the fellowship. Yeah, you yeah. know, you got a tattoo. Just to finish on that, you yes. got a tattoo. Yes. Let's have a look. Thanks so we, to you guys. It was it was yourself and Pete, and was there someone else got a tattoo? Richard Taylor and Barry Osborne. Amazing. Hold on. We all there got we the go. nine. So yours is a nine. Yours is a 10, ours That's is a right. nine. So That's it right. kind of has some mirroring. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Elements. so brilliant. Brilliant, Mark. Great place to put it. No, well. fantastic. Mark, it's been great to have you on. Wait, how do people get in touch with us? You can get in touch with us. At, at the Friendship Onion at castmedia.com or you can leave a message at speakpipe.com forward slash the Friendship Onion. And don't forget to watch The Quest on Disney+. Plus. When does it start? They're going to announce it at WonderCon. Oh, it's getting brilliant. announced at WonderCon. Brilliant. Uh, please leave all your messages on our YouTube channel and send us your tongue twisters and send us songs that you either purposefully or accidentally sing wrong. And send, Anything else you Send fancy. Billy gifts because he loves gifts. I love gifts. <laughs> we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thank Bye. you, Mark. Bye. Bye-bye.